Uh, some of you know a couple of weeks ago, uh, or a couple of months ago at this point, uh, we went to uh, Uganda, um, and we were on the mission field in Uganda, and I love the mission field because it reminds me of how big God is. So much of what I see here in, in Detroit and in southeastern Michigan, in the United States, is a version of how the church has grown in that season, in this place. But I get a chance to go and see how the church has grown in other places. And it reminds me that there are so many things that we get accustomed to that just become the norm. Uh, we get accustomed to uh, climate-controlled buildings with walls and, and, and wooden floors. Praise the Lord, I got a chance to worship in a church that had cutouts but no windows, um, dirt on the floor, rammed earth uh, to be able to make it solid, and yet the worship was so pure towards the Lord. The wind was our air conditioning on a very hot day. The short-term missions remind you of how God is moving um, within our lives, and I pray that one day you would be able to go on a short-term mission trip. One of our pastors in our Romeo campus, uh, he was on the mission field in Ecuador and got a chance to build a relationship with a pastor and his family. And as he was building that relationship with the pastor and his family, he began to hear stories of God's provision. And the children of the pastor recounted a story of when they were younger and their faith was strengthened because they were struggling. They were newly planting the church. And as they were planting the church, there wasn't a significant number of, of people who were able to supply for their family. And so there were days where they struggled, where they may have had one meal uh, on a Saturday, and, and they're retelling this story of a Sunday that came. And on Saturday, Saturday, they had consumed the last food that they had in the house. And the father woke up, and he put on his shirt, and he goes out to the church, and he, he ministers. He preaches. And after he preaches, he comes home with his family and they sit down and they talk and they sit down at the table. And as they're sitting at the table, there's no food. There's no food for anyone to make. There's no food for anyone to gather. But they sit down at that table. And the father begins to pray. And he begins to thank God for bread. And he begins to thank God for his family. He thanks God for the home that they have. He thanks God for so many different things. He thanks God for food. Even though they don't have any food, he thanks God for, uh, for juice and drink to come. But he just trusts the Lord. And he closes with an amen. And as he closes with an amen, the children said there was a knock on the door. That as that knock came to the door, as he concluded that prayer, there was a member of the church who just wanted to be a blessing and just so happened to show up with some food, just so happened to show up with some bread, just so happened to show up with juice. And said the family, before they ate, they wept because they recognized the provision of God in those moments. Now, oftentimes, including in my own life, I relegate these stories to those out there. Because though I've had tough times in my life, I've not experienced that moment. Though I've, I've, I've had health and, 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 and other challenges in my life, I've not experienced moments like the times we're about to get into in this scripture. Because so much of our life is set apart 
from the dependency that we must have on God. But what we see here in this scripture is we are going to find that there are people who live by faith, who live by the very word of God, the need. There is such a deep need that they clamor after just one moment with him. And in preparing for this and in looking at it, it is shaking to the core to remember how often I'm not clamoring after God. The dependency is not there. The need in my life is not there. Oh, I can check my bank account and I can check my credit card and I can go into my warm house and I can jump into my car and drive where I need to. The needs are not there yet. But I had a conversation with a friend this week and it reminded me of how quickly things can come to an end. There's something that consistently shakes us to the core. It doesn't matter whether you are in Uganda or in Ecuador or here in Detroit. When you face disease and sickness and death, those are things that we struggle with because it is so far outside of our reach. There is no level of work that you can do to absolve you from being in a situation where disease doesn't touch your life. Sickness doesn't touch your life. Death doesn't touch your life. Every one of us, Scripture says, is appointed a time to die. But what we see here is that Jesus, he can insert himself into these moments and bring glory out of these broken times of our life. Concluding the series, Thy Kingdom Come. And the hope in this series is that you're able to see Jesus and his kingdom in a very different light. That in this series, and as we've walked through it, we've seen Jesus bring together the disciples and call them by name. He challenges these religious leaders and says that there is something different to come. There is a new kingdom being established even now. He teaches about this kingdom. He performs miracles, and he amazes these crowds. And as these crowds are coming around him, and we talked about the crush of the crowd, we begin to come to this story on today in Mark chapter 5. Pastor Victor began Mark chapter 5 last week, uh, where we talked about the, um, uh, the demoniac and, and how the Lord saved him. But now we turn our hearts towards two women, two women who experienced the hand in the presence of the Lord. Uh, and I want to read first... Um, this segment, uh, verse number 21, so that we can understand that Jesus, he reigns over all things, but he also reigns over disease and sickness. In 21, he says, and when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet. And implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went, and, and he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. 
And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out of him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Jesus restores our dignity when we go through some tough situations. This woman had been experiencing an issue of blood, and Mark actually goes a little bit more into detail here, different than what Luke does. Um, But he talks about the length of time that she had had this issue of blood. I can't imagine what it must be like to experience this. This is so far beyond the male experience that it it takes a lot of conversation to be able to even get a glimpse of what this might have felt like to be ostracized. I mean, this is not, again, in our modern world with all of our modern uh, updates to medicine and to all the things that you could find at CVS. This is 2,000 years ago, and this woman struggled with this for 12, for 12 years. And as she struggled with this, the physical exhaustion that comes from that, but then on top of that, considering the, the community that she was in, this would have caused her for 12 years to be disfellowshipped. She would not have been allowed to be a part of the fellowship because of her uncleanness. Now, in a lot of situations, what we find uh, in Scripture is that it's for a period of time, that during a period of uncleanness, a woman would reserve herself to stay home, to stay, but then she would be returned to the family after a cleansing ritual. But this woman had to stay like this apart from family and friends, apart from festivals, apart from church, apart from all the things that, in, that come into our lives because we're around people. She had to stay away for, for 12 years. Not to mention this, but that she is spending money trying to figure out what's going on with me. She's going from doctor to doctor. She's trying to find someone who can cause healing, someone who can cause relief in her life. And for 12 years, she's struggling. I know the struggle of a friend who had been experiencing, he had a cancer diagnosis last year. And it was a very aggressive cancer. And in the process of doing so, he had to go through a series of treatments. And in the series of treatments, it weakened him. And I know what it was like for him while he was having to work still and still be a father and still be a husband and still do the things that are normal, but be completely exhausted wrestling with this issue of cancer. It disrupted his whole life. It disrupted his whole family's life. This woman was completely pulled apart. And she gets to a point where she says to herself, I have to do something about it, and there's only one thing that I can do. You see all these crowds of people, all these crowds of people, they have said that they have touched Jesus. They've been around him. They've heard his word, and he has changed their life. And so if I could just reach out, In her moment of desperation, she's risking everything because she should not be in the crowds. For 12 years, she's been told that you need to be over there because you are unclean, and she said, I'm going to press in. I'm going to press in because I can't do it anymore. 
I'm going to press in because I can't live this way anymore. I don't know if this woman was on the verge of, of doing the unthinkable. But she said, I cannot live this way any longer. And she goes into the crowd. And she doesn't even come up to Jesus face to face, but she comes up to him from behind. Because she doesn't want to shame the rabbi. She doesn't want to shame the teacher. She walked in this carrying so much shame from her past, from her hurts, from her afflictions. And she goes behind Jesus and she touches him. And in the moment that she touches him, everything changes for her. In the moment that she experiences his warmth, in the moment that she experiences his presence, everything changes for her. I would venture to say, maybe you, you have a similar experience. I know I do. I know that growing up that I had experienced so much hurt and anger and frustration that the person that I was before the day that I met Christ is not the man that you see standing before you. That I know so much the impact that Christ had on my life, I can tell you the day, October 13th, 1993. And the reason why I can say that is because I know the power of touching him. I know who I was, and I know the, the tears that streamed down my face because I felt like no one heard me, no one understood me, and then God spoke. And through his word, he told me that he hears me, that he knows me, that he loves me. And I remember that day saying, if you would do all of that just to get me here, I'm yours. God is doing that. He is present he is involved. He is not some God who is high and lofty, but he is also the God who is imminent and near. He is also the God that is in the crowds waiting for you to reach out and touch. He felt something. He felt the connection to her. He felt power leave his body. And as he felt the power leave his body, he wanted to know the who. Now this is the interesting part is that Jesus wants to know you. He doesn't just want to be your savior. He doesn't just want to be your Lord. He wants you. When God forms Adam out of the dust of the earth, there is a relationship that is formed with him, and there is a consistency that he has walking with him in the cool of the day, being with Adam, and God desires to be with his creation, to be with you. He doesn't just want you to be standoffish. God, I'm so afraid of you that I don't want to have a close relationship with you. He turns to this woman, and in fear, she comes back to him. She comes back to him, and she has a conversation with him. And in the process of that conversation, what Jesus is able to do is he's able to erase 12 years of affliction, but he's also able to erase 12 years of being ostracized, 12 years of being separated from her family, 12 years of being separated from the fellowship, and this is what he says to her. But the woman knowing, in verse number 33, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Jesus doesn't call anyone else in scripture daughter. But he brings her back into close relationship. 
I don't care what your past was like. I don't care what you have experienced. When you touch the hem of his garment, when you reach out and you go after him, he brings you close and he restores you as son. He restores you as daughter. Everyone in this crowd, they heard that. They heard that. That Jesus called her daughter. Jesus made her family again. Jesus restored her. What Jesus does is he is able to erase the things of our past. There are some who have what society would say would be sketchy pasts. But Jesus still can erase all of those things and bring you back into fellowship. I don't know what your past is. But here's the thing I love is that Jairus, who we're going to talk about in just a second, he heard about Jesus. This woman heard about Jesus because somebody was willing to tell the story of how he healed them. Now, how do they get a chance to know about this Jesus? How do they get a chance to come and reach for themselves? They get a chance to come and reach for themselves when you and I tell the story of how he changed our life. So this is my commissioning to you that as you leave this place and over the next six to seven days, that you go out and you tell the story. You tell the story that if Jesus has saved you, if he has called you, if he has restored you, then go and tell someone that he has redeemed you, that they might experience the same with him. They need that restoration just as well. This story gets told because I think it also illustrates how we naturally have a dependency or a desire to go to the things that are natural and of this world first. It says something that this woman has exhausted her funds and exhausted her time trying to get things from this world and they never actually satisfied. And that's us. When we feel depressed, when we feel anxious, when we feel like we need something, our first desire is to do what? Is to go to the things of this world. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling down, so I want to go to the movies. I'm feeling down, so I need to go and uh, uh, get something to drink or go get something to eat. I need these things. We turn ourselves to very natural things when God is there all alone. Scripture says that for uh, a spirit of heaviness, we should put on a garment of praise. What is scripture telling us to do? It's saying when you're feeling down, sing out unto God. And as you sing out unto God, what will happen? That spirit of heaviness will be released off of you. But what do we often do? We find some natural remedy and it never fully gets us there. Sometimes it even creates more issues in our life. And as it creates more issues in our life, we find ourselves 12 years in. Finally saying, Lord, I'm going to come to you. So I encourage you to go to him now. Seek after the Lord. Seek after the Lord. But sometimes we end up in situations where it's so dark and it's so bleak that there is nothing. And we feel like there's nothing that can bring us back. Well, let me tell you this, that Jesus is a resurrector. Jesus is one who can restore life. Jesus is one who can breathe life into the deadest marriage. Jesus is one who can breathe life into the deadest relationships with your friends and with your families. Jesus is the one who can breathe life back into you. And how do we see this played out? We see it played out once he is continuing on in this this journey towards Jairus' house. Verse number 35, he says, 
It says, while he was still speaking, this is Jesus, he's still speaking to the woman with the issue of blood, and there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they had said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. Let me pause just right there. This is just a little anecdote. And did you see what Jesus did? He limited the number of people who would go into this situation so that those who believed, those who had stake in the game, those who had a stake in your future, those are the ones who are around. Jesus takes this moment and he says, even though there's a lot of people around, all of you cannot go with me. And he tells Jairus to believe. James, John, Peter, they already saw Jesus doing some stuff, and they believe. So Jesus is taking James, John, Peter, Jairus, those who need to be there, the girl's mother, those who are hoping and praying, those who are on their last, uh, their, their, their last bit of energy and want to cry out to him. And he says, something is going to change. And they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. They put, and he, but he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was, taking her by the hand. He said to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl. I say to you, arise. And immediately, the girl got up and began walking. Jesus allows your life to be resurrected. Everybody thought this girl was dead. Everybody had written her off. So much so that this guy, who was just in a crowd of thousands, who was performing miracles, this guy who had been teaching, this guy who has a reputation through all of the region for doing some pretty miraculous things, they laughed at him. How, who would laugh at him after seeing all of these things? Who would laugh at him after seeing all the miracles he had done? Who would laugh at him after hearing him teach? Who would laugh at him after understanding the reputation? They laughed kind of helps me to understand that this girl probably was dead. And not like some people would say, yeah, she probably was just in a coma, you know, and Jesus came at the right time, and, you know, that's why he said get her some food, so that way she was probably diabetic. But these are real things that people talk about Jesus, how they try to discount Jesus. Why would they have been so adamant to laugh at him and say, what do you mean she's sleeping? He's... he's He's silly. She was dead. And he just walked up to her. And he calls her out. He says, little girl. He touches her. She experiences his hand. She experiences his word. She experiences his presence. She experiences his love. And in doing so, he resurrects her whole life. But not just resurrecting her whole life, but this father and this mother and Peter and James and John. And then eventually the rest of the community get a chance to say, he is the Lord of all. 
Jesus will resurrect every situation. You may feel like at the end of the day, you have broken every rule. You have fallen on your face so many times that there is no way for you to get up. Jesus is still moving in the midst of your life. Just reach out, let him touch you. Just reach out, be present with him. And let the story of your life proclaim of his goodness. This is the beautiful part here. It says in the end, in verse number 43, I mean, verse number 42, and immediately the girl got up and began walking, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. Immediately overcome with amazement. This is like Acts 2 and 42, that as they were doing the things that were blessing and beneficial to the whole of the church, awe came on them because God was meeting every need because God was showing up here in this situation. God is showing up, and there is an amazement that fills the people's lives. Oh, what's the difference? What's the difference between being on the mission field in Uganda and being on the mission field in Ecuador is that they're not overcome with, with, with shame or guilt and keeping their mouth closed that, oh, I needed the Lord and I fell and the Lord redeemed me, but I can't tell people that I've had struggles in my life, otherwise they might look at me different. They don't care. They don't care. And they begin to tell, oh, I used to be a prostitute. Oh, I was in sex, tra I was sex trafficked in, in, in all these different areas and I did all these things, but God still wanted me. But Jesus changed my life. Oh, I used to be a witch doctor. Oh, I used to proclaim how awful God is. I blasphemed his name, but yet he came after me. But we don't want to tell about the time that we were clicking too many times on the computer when we should have turned away, when we were scrolling in different places on our phone and we shouldn't have been there in the first place, when we were texting people that we shouldn't have been texting, things that we shouldn't have been texting. We don't want to tell about how God redeemed us. We don't want to tell those stories about how God brought us back from the pit knowing that it saved us and it'll save somebody else's life. We tell the story. Why do these things happen? Why does Jesus heal Jairus' daughter? Why does Jesus heal this woman with the issue of blood? Why does Jesus walk out into this crowd? Why does Jesus heal this demoniac? Why does Jesus do these things? Because it glorifies God. It glorifies the Father. He's walking out into the midst of these things so that the Father will be glorified. Because that is the original desire. In Isaiah, he says it like this. He says, these people whom I gathered, whom I brought, who I made for my name and my image for my glory. You are made for his glory. You are made for his purposes. Now, how can you glorify God in the midst of what you do? Is you set out every single day that, Lord, when I walk out of this door, let my life, let the words that come from my mouth glorify you. Lord, let the interactions that I have with people, let it glorify you. When someone offends me, let me forgive them because it'll glorify you. When I really want to go off on somebody, let me hold it within and bring it to you so that you will be glorified and people will say, I don't understand this hope that lies within you. I don't understand why you had every right to hurt them. You had every right to sue them. You had every right 
but yet you chose forgiveness. Why? Because he has forgiven me much. That's my testimony. God has forgiven me much. Now, there are times where I might feel anger. There are times where I might feel hurt. But what I do know is that God has forgiven me much. And so when I've been wronged, when I've been hurt, the desire is, God, don't let my natural response come out. But let your supernatural response come out so that you might be glorified. And what we see is Jesus had to tell them, in verse 43, he had to tell them, just, just don't, don't tell everybody. Don't tell everybody. There's already enough going on out there. It's like, and pretty soon, you're going to see even more. Pretty soon, you're going to see the full measure as he, as he is crucified on the cross and as he is buried and as he himself is resurrected. There's nobody else that comes alongside. Nobody grabs his hand. Nobody else is involved in that. He holds all power in his hands, the power of resurrection. And so he gets up out of the grave. And so he walks among his people again. He even eats with them just to show that I am the Lord of all. Jesus is a healer. It doesn't matter what the disease is, whether it's a spiritual disease or whether it's a physical disease, Jesus is a healer. And I pray that you know him in that way. And I pray that you glorify God because of the healing that he has brought to you. Amen.